Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Whoa, yeah, it's good, it's good. Welcome back to CBC, and if you're our guest today, we're just grateful that you're here, and we hope that you just feel encouraged today, and you feel uh, blessed by being here. You learn a little bit about uh, the God who made you, and the God who loves you, and, and a little bit more about how He wants you to live, and uh, we're going to just have a great time learning about that together. I want to start off by just sharing with you what some of our people in our community here have been doing since last week, since we put out the challenge to be what we're calling a life house. One woman said that she had lived next to the same person for seven years in an apartment and had never had more than a passing hello. This week, she actually stopped after they said hello, started a conversation, and was able to discern a prayer need. Two days later, they had another conversation in the hallway, and she just said, I feel so much better having made the time to talk with my neighbor. One man took time while uh, out doing yard work to just stop and have a conversation with his neighbors just to see how they were doing. One couple took the time to go down and greet a new family that had just moved in on their street. One woman stopped and talked to a neighbor and found out that they had some health issues, and now she's determined to pray for them and those needs. One single mom and her son baked cookies and got outside to deliver them and meet some of the neighbors that they have not met yet. One couple was leaving their home and saw their neighbors out, and instead of just waving and driving off, pulled over, rolled down the window, and started chatting with them. And the lady they were talking to immediately opened up and started sharing some of her current burdens. The couple now knows how to pray for them and follow up with those neighbors, and they just wouldn't have done so unless they took the time to just stop and engage them. Several people reported going out and just praying in their neighborhoods, just walking through the neighborhoods and just praying for people behind the doors and in the homes uh, that were in there. One couple picked some of the wildflowers and made a happy spring card and delivered it to some of their neighbors, and it just got big smiles for doing that. And lastly, another man said that he was out running and stopped and chatted with a woman in his neighborhood. In that conversation, he found out about significant health issues with her and her husband. He felt compelled to say a little prayer for her on the spot. After he had prayed, he looked up and she was crying. She said, thank you. And then they went to their homes. He said that encounter, he said of that encounter, thanks be to God for our Life Houses series. I believe it made me far more sensitive and more observant than I normally would have been. What are those people trying to do? They're trying to be Life Houses. Thank you. They're trying to be Life Houses. They're just trying to make a difference in the neighborhoods that they're living. And so for the sake of review, for those of us who were here, or for the sake of informing you if you weren't, I want to uh, basically unload to you what a life house is. It's a life house is a home where the occupant sees themselves placed where they live on purpose um, by God to love, serve, and interact with their immediate neighbors with the ultimate desire that they would come to experience God's love and new life in Christ. Life houses. A, a person or a family that says, God's put us here on purpose. He's put the people around us here on purpose. And our job as followers of Christ is just to love them, to serve them, build just a genuine relationship with them. And if God chooses, maybe a spiritual conversation will come out of it later, and they can come to find out more about this God who made us and loves us and knows us. And as I mentioned last week, I, I have no interest in a four-week teaching series. This is not really a four-week teaching series. This is a kickoff to a movement, to a way of life. We're challenging you to say, my home, my apartment, my condo, my boat, my car, whatever you live in, my tent, whatever you live in is going to be a life house. It's going to be a place that helps 
take the new life that Christ has given me and just start to flow over to the people that I live by. And that's really the desire of this whole time that we're having together. Now, the Lifehouse commits to three, um, lives out three commitments. The first one is this, prayer. Lifehouse says, we're going to be people of prayer. We're just going to pray for our neighbors. We may know what's going on with them. We may not. But we're just going to just pray. We're going to go to God. We're going to intercede on behalf of our neighbors. So Lifehouse is a house of prayer. Uh, Lifehouse is determined to care, just committing to sense and observe practical, tangible needs within the life of our neighbors and demonstrate God's love by trying to meet those needs. And so a life house is a house of care. You just, you identify things going on in the people that live around you, and you try to meet those needs. I know for us, like, uh, we have some single parents close by to us. They need help watching their kids every now and then. We say, hey, we'll watch your kids for you. There's been times when, uh, during holidays, uh, you know, we don't have family close by. They don't have family close by. We said, you know what, come share the holiday with us. And we just, we see practical, tangible needs as they arise, and we say, God, you have me here on purpose to help meet those needs. You've given me the resources to help meet those needs. You've given me the calling. You've given me the mandate. You've given me the directive to meet those needs. And so a life house is a house of prayer. It's a house of care. And a life house is also a house that's going to share. Because as you're praying and as you're caring for the people around you, it's going to stir a spiritual curiosity in them. And eventually you start to talk about the deeper things. And evidently you'll, you'll probably land on talking about your faith background. At that point in time, you just you listen to their background. You listen to you know, their story. You get a chance to, to tell your story. And if invited to do so, if you feel like it's appropriate, you know what? You, you share God's story with them. And maybe God will open those doors, but may, and maybe he won't. But either way, you're prepared to do so. So life houses are houses that have prayer, they care, and they share. Now, here's the deal. A lot of us are familiar with this language. A lot of us are very familiar with that very common, well-known teachings of Jesus that says, love your neighbor. But here's the thing. We either don't know where to find it in Scripture, because there's many places, or we know where to find it. We, we can quote it. We know it. But we're actually not living it. We're actually not living it. And, and when we talk like this, we're not, we're not trying to do that in a shameful way or in a condemning way. Man, there are just neighbors that I need to get to know still. There's neighbors that you still get to know. It's, it's just kind of a tragedy that we could live for years next to people and not know their name or not even know anything about them, not know their story. They're just faceless, nameless people that we coexist by for, for years. And it's like, I don't think that's what God had in mind when he put us where he put us. And so we want to just be more intentional. We want to start to remove barriers that, that prevent us from engaging the people that God put around us. Well, I think to connect with that, I want to take you to a passage of Scripture in the Bible that another guy knew the right answers. He knew the answer, but he wasn't clearly displaying it. And he and Jesus had a conversation about this. So I want to invite you to uh, the book of Luke chapter 10. Open your Bibles. I hope all of you bring your Bibles to church. Luke chapter 10. We're going to be in verses 25 through 29. Now, we're going to look at the following verses in Luke 10 uh, next week, because Jesus tells a really cool story to illustrate what we're about to look at. But for now, we're just going to camp out on these four verses uh, this morning. And if you're here and you don't have a Bible, you don't have a Bible application on your device, you just don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one as a gift for free. So make sure you stop by our information center on the way out. We'd love to give you a Bible. Well, we're going to find ourselves in Luke 10, uh, verses 25 to 29. Here's what we see there. And behold... A lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, 
What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Let's pray. God, we've come here today. Some of us are uh, just all over the, the map in our spiritual journeys. Some of us have been walking with you for a long time. Some of us are new in our faith in Christ. Some of us are on a, a spiritual quest trying to figure out what we believe. What, what do we believe about God? What do we believe about the Bible? What do we believe about Jesus? Heaven, eternity, all these kinds of things. God, I just pray that as you normally do, meet us, meet us here in our place of need. And God, as we, we look at... Uh, Man, these four verses have a lot there, Lord. And you, you, you tell us a lot about how to love you and how that love should spill over to others. So God, as we desire to be uh, homes, families, individuals that uh, are contagious with the life that you've given us, Lord, help us learn together as a community. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. So we lay ourselves before you with open hearts, open ears, open minds. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Well, I just want to unpack this a little bit with you. I just want to look at that verse and unpack it. Who is this guy? This guy's a lawyer. Now, he's not a civil lawyer. He's not a guy packing his briefcase up and going to the courthouse and, you know, taking cases. That's not the kind of lawyer that he is. This is a religious lawyer. He is an expert in the Jewish religious law. He's a scribe. He's a guy that basically has memorized and informs people about the first five books of the Bible, about all the laws and all the things that spin off of that. And it's a big study when you study the law. Because the law is a, a fascinating uh, way to understand God's way of saying, here's how I want you to live, but at the same way, kind of showing us that we can't live that way without him. Like when you look at the Ten Commandments, a lot of us are going, well, I'm trying to keep the Ten Commandments. But part of the reason of the Ten Commandments is to say, you can't hardly do that. <laughs> you need me. It's, it's like the law is like a mirror to reveal our weaknesses, and what happened is, in the early, uh, early Jewish culture, they would take the Ten Commandments and almost literally clicked on every uh, letter and formed another law off of that. And so when, you, when you're seeing passages like this where they're talking about scribes and talking about Pharisees and Sadducees, and they're talking about these men called lawyers, these are people that are very, very, very familiar with the 613 laws in the Old Testament system. 613. Like, that's crazy. And so uh, this guy is very well-versed. He knows the information. He's an expert. And when he comes to Jesus, you can tell that they're in a public venue because it says that he stood up. I mean, that's just kind of, that'd be just kind of weird if you were one-on-one, right? You're talking to someone and they just stand up. Hey, what's up? They're just like, you know, looking over you, you know? Maybe you do that. I think it's kind of creepy, but um, it's just one of those things. He stood up because they were in a crowd of people. And so here's Jesus teaching a crowd, and this man, this lawyer, probably feels like it's his place to, to check, to do a little check on this new rabbi that's in town that all these people are flocking around and listening to and that he's teaching. And so he, he, he puts out a question. We don't think this is really a genuine question. I mean, it could be, but likely when you look at the tone, you look at the language, you look at what's happening here, this isn't him like, I don't know the answer. What do you think? He's, more like, he's, he's, he's trying to entrap Jesus a little bit. 
I'm going to poke around at this guy's theology. I'm going to check his doctrine to see what he's going to say. I'm going to see if I can you know, get him to stumble or say something peculiar. And in front of all these people, I can you know, show him to be a, a, a false teacher. So he's, he's testing. That's why he says he's testing Jesus. And he stood up to do so in this crowd. And so his motive was not really a genuine question as much as to try to trap Jesus and saying something that's a little off. And he's saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this whole concept of eternal life, you know, it's interesting. We have a, a different concept than this man did because as we learn about eternal life, this guy is talking to the answer face-to-face, right? We understand now because we, we know the rest of the story. But in this moment, this is a man who's saying, I'm a Jewish religious leader. I know that at the end of all times, there's going to be a resurrection. And there's going to be reward for those people who are faithful, and they're going to live in God's kingdom forever, this eternal life. How do I get in on that? And so he's really checking to see what is Jesus going to say about eternal life and God's kingdom and the resurrection and all the stuff at the end. How do I get that? And this is just a little interesting sidebar because a lot of us have asked that same question that that man has. Because here's how, here's how he said, he says, what must I do to get eternal life? Already some of you are going, ah, I know where you're going, okay? Because here's the most common spiritual understanding about how to get to God. That you and I have to do something to get to God, that you and I have to be a good person, that our good has to outweigh our bad, that we have to be uh, more pure and holy than the person you know, down the street or whatever, that we have to accumulate good works and good behavior and somehow earn our way to God. And that if we can earn our way to God, we'll spend forever and eternity with him, we'll be in God's favor. It's up to you and I and what we do to get to God. That is as strange as a child sitting on the lap of his parents or his grandparents, and saying, I'm going to try to behave so that you will love me. Now, obviously, if you're a parent and a child is like, hey, I want to behave, you're like, that's a thumbs up, all right? If you behave, it'll make things good. It'll go well for you. It'll make life easier. Definitely about you, you know, behaving. That's nice and all. But my love for you isn't based on your obedience. My love for you isn't based on what you do. And so in the same way that it would be so weird for a child to sit on their parent's lap and say, I hope that somehow I can earn your love, mom. I hope I can earn your love, dad. I hope I can earn your love, grandma, grandpa. We go, honey, you don't have to try to earn my love. I just love you. I love you because you're my child. I love you because you're my grandchild. Whatever whatever the relationship is there. That's the same kind of love that God has for you and I. We can't earn his love. We can't earn it. There's nothing good in us that would draw God's love. He just loves us because he loves us. We're just on the receiving end of God's amazing love, his amazing grace, his amazing mercy. And so this guy wasn't you know, there yet. He didn't have the rest of the scriptures. He didn't realize he was talking to the answer that's going to give us this understanding because religion, as we've talked about this many times, religion spells how to get to God with D-O. It's what you have to do. But we know that God spells uh, you know, a relationship with him with D-I-D. It's what Jesus did. By Jesus dying on the cross for all of our wickedness, for all of our sin, by Jesus raising from the grave to show that he had the authority over sin and death, it's the work of Jesus and what he did that allows you and I access to God, that allows you and I to have a relationship with God. And there are some of you that, that as you're right here on your spiritual journey, you're like this guy, confused, thinking you've got to do something. Well, there's nothing you can do. You have to put your faith, your trust, your belief, your hope in what Jesus did because there's no other way to have a relationship with God. And so, but he didn't have that understanding yet. He didn't have that context yet. So he's still asking, what do I have to do? And I love what Jesus did next. 
Jesus pulled the classic rabbi move. Because a favorite way for rabbis to answer a question was to what? Ask a question back. And, and I, I don't know, think about that for a second. That, that's an awesome way to extract what, where someone else is at and what they're thinking. I just want to give you an example of that. Sometimes when you and I are having a spiritual conversation, we're a little bit nervous that someone's going to corner us with a tough question. And we get kind of like a one-sided mindset in these conversations where, okay, I'm getting sweaty palms, man, and they're, they're, they're asking me, oh, yeah, well, there's a God. Why does bad stuff happen to good people? And we're like, ah, okay, I've got to explain, like, God created everything perfect, and then there's the fall, and I've got to do all that. Have you ever thought just to stop and go, well, before I answer that, why do you think bad things happen to good people? I've got to tell you something. I've done that a few times. It's very interesting what happens. Because what you'll find in that moment is a lot of people feel like they're going to give you the silver bullet argument, oh yeah, why did a bad thing happen to good people? And when you flip it on them, they don't have an answer. A lot of times they don't have an answer. Or their answer just reveals where, you know, where their faith you know, belief system is. And so this is a classic rabbi move where here's this you know, lawyer, this expert in the law, in a group of people going, oh, I'm going to pin Jesus to the wall here. What must I do to inherit eternal life? <laughs> watch this, watch this. What? <laughs> you put it back. He said, basically, when you look at this, if you're looking at parentheticals, well, hey, you're an expert in the law. You tell me. You study this. You memorize it. What's written in the law? What's it say? And this guy didn't even skip a beat because he's an expert. Not only that, he's a devout Jew. And you don't have to be an expert because as a devout Jew, you, you memorize Scripture. You quote Scripture um, as part of your life. You, you, we can learn so much about just the ancient system of loving God's Word, <laughs> you know? And there was a love for God's word, and there was a, re- a recitation, a memorization of God's word. And he basically quoted Deuteronomy 6.5, Leviticus 19.18. He said a common phrase that was popular at the time, multiple times. And look what he says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You didn't skip a piece. So, okay, here's the deal. To, to get that life that we're talking about, you've got to love God with all of your heart, all of your emotions, all of your affections, everything that's in you, all of your desires. You've got to love God with all your soul, all of your unique being. You've got to love God with all your mind, your intellect, your capacity to think, and you've got to love God with all of your strength, or some versions say might. That means all of your drive, all of your will. What he's saying here is that, and he's repeating back God's word, and he's dead on. He's saying, you have to learn how to love God with all of you. You have to learn God in all totality of who you are. And then on top of that, you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. See, learn to love your neighbor, we kind of go, oh, I think I can do that. And then it's like, as you love yourself, and you go, ooh, that's that's a little bit taller order right there. I love what Pastor John Piper has to say about that, a well-respected pastor. He says that this is a one of the most overwhelming passages for him. And he's such an artistic uh, speaker. I love what he says here. He says, I say it's overwhelming because it seems to demand that I tear the skin off my body, not literally, metaphorically, and wrap it around another person so that I feel that I am that other person. And all the longings that I have for my own safety, my own health, and success, and happiness, I now feel for that other person as though he were me. I mean, you want to have this connection with God. You want to have this relationship with God. You want to have this eternal life. You're saying, like, you've got to love God with all of who you are, and you've got to learn to love your neighbors yourself. This is the summary. And I, and I love what Jesus said. And when, you look at, and when you look at how Jesus answered him right here, did you catch this? He says, you've answered correctly. 
do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. This isn't the first time Jesus has said this. This isn't the first time this is mentioned in Scripture. You go back in the Old Testament, you've got love God, love your neighbor, right? You see all over the place. You go into Matthew, and it's not on the screen, but Matthew 22, another lawyer approaches Jesus. He says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? This is Matthew 22, 36. And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor on yourself, as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You and I have hooks in our house probably. You probably have a coat hook or some hooks on a, you know, a board somewhere that you can hang your jackets, your backpacks, ladies, your purses, dudes, a dead deer that you hit on the way home. I don't know. There's, there's hooks we have in our house that we just hang stuff on. When Jesus was asked, which, which of the laws is the greatest, the heaviest, the most significant, Jesus is going, look, all those laws, everything the prophets have said, you hang it all on one hook. You love God with everything you have and love your neighbors yourself, and you hang it on that one hook. Everything hangs on that hook to love God like that. And so he's telling us, man, you've answered right. And, and here's, here's the profan- profound understanding that you and I need to have. What Jesus is speaking to, what God has revealed in his word, is that there's like this two-way kind of understanding of love that comes from God. The first is the vertical, right? We've talked about this before. There's a vertical love. This is our relationship with God. Our relationship with God, we're supposed to love God with all of who we are. With everything that's in us, we have this vertical love that goes up to the Lord, this vertical love for him. And we're on the receiving end of that. This is that the vertical two-way connection with God. And then you've got the horizontal, right? The left and right, the horizontal. And here's what God's trying to say. If you love me like this, it's going to automatically spill over into the horizontal relationships. When you and I have this kind of connection, when you love me with as much of you as you can, it's just going to automatically flow out into loving these other people. The reason some of you have forgiven people that have done hideous things to you is because God's love has flowed into you and it's just spilled over and you're like, I don't know how it's even possible, but I've forgiven that person. Some of you are working with people, living next to people, have family members that are hard to love and there's sometimes you go, where's this compassion in my heart for them coming for? Like, like I want to I scratch their face off, but right now I just want to hug them. Like, like what happens in that moment? The love for God is flowing down and is spilling over and is teaching you how to love them. Which means, if we're going to backtrack and think about that, if you're having a hard time loving people, if, there, if there's a barrier, if there's a resistance in you to love certain people, then you need to check this line, not this line. Because maybe your relationship with God is weak. And maybe your relationship with God is very... Um, small and, and kinked up. And that's why you're not able to love and you're not able to forgive. You're not able to have that horizontal. And here's what's so interesting. Uh, one of the things that's got us so messed up is that we're broken, needy people, bankrupt, bankrupt in ourselves, and we're the horizontal beam, and we're out there trying to find love and significance and meaning and all these other horizontal beams. But you can't take a horizontal beam and just hang it in the air. You have to have the vertical beam first so that you can put the horizontal beam on it. So for you and I to try to find significance, love, life, meaning in people makes no sense whatsoever. Because it's not going to happen until we get it in the Lord. We're going to love God with all of our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength. And your neighbor as itself. It's going to flow over 
So as we take on this effort to try to love our immediate neighbors, it means that we're going to have to step up our relationship with God in order for that to happen, to love them the way that God is calling us to love them. So Christ is making this very clear. Now, here's the thing. The conversation's over, right? The man asked a question. Jesus asked him a question back. The man gave the answer, and Jesus said, good job, you nailed it. Conversation over, right? You ever watch a movie when two people are in conflict? They're fighting, they're arguing, whatever, and it's, it's pretty much done. And as they're getting ready to walk away, one person just has to say that one last thing. And then it's back on, right? Some of you are like, that's a picture of my home or my car. You know, like, been there. This is what's happening. Like, the conversation's over. And it's like, you can almost see Jesus starting to go, awesome, go do that, live, you're good. You're getting ready to hang out and teach some more. And the guy has to slip this one in. It says right here, and I love, I love how it reveals the motive of his heart. It says, but he designed to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In the Greek there, the, the, the term to justify himself means to make himself righteous. He's in a crowd of people, and he's getting, he tried to call out Jesus. Now he's being called out. Now he's got to find the loophole. He's got to save some face. He's got to not look so bad. He's got to show that he's an expert in the law. He's, he's capable of justifying himself. Look, you and I can't justify ourselves before God. Only God can justify us. It's a gift we receive. But he's trying to justify himself. And look what he says. This is this, and who's my neighbor? Like, there's almost like the dun-dun-dun, you know, the sarcasm in the moment, you know? Think about the question behind the question. If he's saying, okay, I'm supposed to love my neighbor, so who's my neighbor? He's also saying, who's not my neighbor? Who don't I have to love? Who do I not have to worry about? Because the implication here is, if you're going to love your neighbor, that, that's everybody. That, that's everybody. I learned years ago about this thing called the three-foot rule. When you're going through your day, you're going through your week, you're going through your month, you're going through your life, and just random things happen, the people come to you, and they get within three feet of you, God wants something in that moment. God brought you to them, God brought them to you for something. It might be a word of encouragement. It might be a seed to be planted, seed to be watered. It might need to be a seed to be harvested. Is that if you live with that three-foot rule that whenever something happens, man, do you think about that next time you're driving and you, you, drove, you drive by a car that's broke down or uh, you're across the register at the grocery store and you start to have a conversation. You go, I don't know, this person's three feet from me. God wants me to do, say something here. It doesn't mean you stand up on the register and start preaching the gospel and you know, all that kind of stuff like that. It just means that you plant seeds of love and encouragement. It's like there's a reason. You watch. You start to live by that three-foot rule. You watch the crazy stuff God will do. You're supposed to love everybody. And this guy's going, but, but who don't I have to love? He's looking for the loophole. Like, there's a disconnect. This guy's got all the right information. It's all right here. He knows the answers. But clearly, he's not living it out. And Jesus is calling on him. And what he's doing is he's exposing that there's a barrier in this man's life and heart. There's a, there's, there's a resistance. There's an obstacle. There's something in the way. I started thinking about that. I just, my mind just kind of, because this is where I, I just started getting pictures. I'm going, this guy's got a fence in his life. So just think about me with fences for a minute. Think about our life houses. Think about homes. Think about fences. We build fences to keep things out or to keep things in, right? 
So we don't want people seeing certain things. We don't want people coming in, you know, there's the perimeters. I'm not against fences. I'm not, we're not like anti-fence movement. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying um, fences are, are fascinating. And I've shared this before, and, and uh, a lot of you here, you've, you've lived in different states, so maybe it's similar, but uh, until I moved here, every single house I can ever remember living in in my entire life always had fences. In California, that's just common. Like, you just have shared fence lines. So you walk in your backyard, fences. You walk in your front yard, sometimes front yards, fences. You've got fences sometimes all the way down the side of your driveway, just fences everywhere. And it's just common in culture. So moving here kind of freaked me out. To be quite transparent, I still get freaked out sometimes when I'm walking in my backyard and there's no fence. I'm like, I can't just put my robe on and go out there and take the dog out. I'm like, oh, hey, everybody, what's up? How's it going? There's no fence here. I gotta go, gotta get dressed to go take my dog outside. You know, it's like, I'm not like my wife who's so beautiful, she doesn't need makeup. She can just go outside and elegantly take the dog out, you know. <laughs> she was watching online last service and she sent me a little text. She's going, ah, ha, ha, about the makeup thing. And it got me thinking, you don't need makeup, baby. You can go anywhere you want. Anyways, sidebar. That has got nothing to do with anything right now. Love my wife, thinking about her. Okay, where was I? Okay, game on. So, so, so we still kind of freak out because there aren't any fences. I'm like, do I mow that extra strip on my yard? Is that technically my neighbor's? Is that not my neighbor's? But I don't want to be that guy. It's like, well, that's your side of the yard. So I'll do a couple extra strips, you know? And then, then I'm like, well, he's got a giant riding mower. He can mow a football field in two strips. And I'm on the little push mower. And, you know, you start like, like where's the fences, you know? And, and so we, we put these fences up around our house sometimes. Like some of you, it's the chain link fence. Here's what's so cool about a chain link fence. It's your way of saying, this is kind of my boundary and perimeter, but it has holes in it, so I'm still being very friendly. It's like, there's, 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 a, there's a line here, but, you know, it's not totally like this wall, you know? Uh, a lot of you, it's the common, you know, cedar fences or typical planks. Those are the ones I'm very familiar with. Some of you are like, no, 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 we're going to get the vinyl that lasts longer, it's prettier, stuff like that. Imagine if you went home today and your neighbor threw up one of these fences. Boom. Just like... It's like, what are you trying to say? (sighs) Some of you have those neighbors. I know what you've been thinking about. You've been thinking about one of those fences. You know what's an interesting fence? Is the invisible fence for dogs. I've got to get one of those because my dog... I let her out. She's like, oh, bye. I'm like, no, because she thinks everything's her yard now. There's no fence. So anyways, um, that's a fascinating fence because you, you, know, you bury the line, and you put up the flags, and the little collar beeps, or it shocks them, or it you know, sprays that nasty stuff in their snout, and it conditions them and trains them that this is a perimeter, this is a boundary. You can't go past that. It's a very fascinating fence. And so I started looking at the life of this guy going, he, he's got a fence around him. He doesn't have a fence around his house. He's got a fence around his heart. He's got a fence around his life. And so I don't know what he's built it with, but he's gotten out some fence boards. And he's like, maybe there's the plank of like self-righteousness. You know, I'm, I'm a self-righteous. I'm an expert of the law. Um, I know this stuff, so therefore I teach others to go do it. I don't have to do it. Maybe there's the plank of, of pride that's in the mix. As we find out, as Jesus starts to tell the story, there might be another plank of like some, some racism a little bit in there, some, some uh, you know, preferences. There's, there's all these planks that he's built up in the fences in his life that are preventing him from acting upon what he knows to do. Should we do the same thing? You don't have to have a fence around your house to have a fence around your heart. And what happens is we get our planks out, man, and we start to build these fences. You want to be a lifehouse? Some of you, I've talked to a handful of you, you're going, I'm struggling with this. 
Like, I know I'm supposed to do this. This, is, this, isn't, an advi- this isn't a request from Jesus. This isn't, isn't advice. This isn't a suggestion. This is a directive from our Savior. Love your neighbor. Well, I'm, I'm afraid. I've got the board of fear up. I'm, 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 I've been hurt before. It's kind of like that invisible dog fence. I've been conditioned that if I step over a line, I get hurt. So I'm afraid to. I'm, I'm afraid to reach out to that neighbor. Or maybe it's just, maybe it's a, it's a preference. Maybe we're selective. We're like, that neighbor's weird. And I don't want to, and, and of course the neighbor's looking at you going, that neighbor's weird. You know, it's, and you have this fence, you know. I think another board that we use in our life is busyness. We're busy. And what happens is we, we, we build these like private little fences in our life, you know. And every now and then we peek out. You know, and we're like, you know, oh, meet my neighbor, sure, hi, I'm, I'm Chad, nice to meet you, okay, I'm going back home now. And, and we, we have these barriers in our life, and, and we, you know, we love Jesus, so we, it was like, we build these fences, and we're like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to go to church, I'm going to love Jesus, let's do some Bible, that Bible studies, let's do like five Bible studies, it's awesome. I'm going to go serve on a mission trip. That's awesome. I can go love other people in another country. That's amazing. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to sing my worship songs. I love, I'm going to raise my hands. That's awesome. I'm going to fellowship with my brothers and sisters. You want me to do what? You want me to reach out to my neighbors? I don't think so. We're going to hide behind our little personal private fences. And... I think some of those boards have been thrown up and we don't even know they're there. Or maybe we've been conditioned to not reach out. But you look at this guy and you go, he had this barrier, this fence up. And Jesus pointed it out. Now he's got an option. Do I take it down and start to do what you've told me or do I continue to justify myself? We're no different. You read the Bible, you read what God has for us, and he's saying, I I want you to love your neighbor. Like yourself. You know what? In order for you and I to do that, we've got to level some fences. We've got to rip off some boards. We need to get this image of whatever fences we've built around our life, metaphorical, maybe even physical. I'm not saying go rip your fences down, but I'm saying maybe, who knows, you know? And, and we just, we lay these fence boards, we lay this chain link, we, we lay this invisible dog fence stuff down at the feet of Jesus. And we say, I'm going to just love my neighbor. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to love him. I'm going to bless him. Because you put me here on purpose. And I want to live out that purpose. And we look at this passage and we go, that, that's, we don't want to be that guy. We don't want to be that guy. So we're trying to make it easy for you guys. So here we are in week two. I'm going to give you some homework, okay? Can I give you some homework? <laughs> like, ah, oh, I knew that was coming. We're trying to just give you resources and exercises to engage. Now, here's the thing. It's my desire that to be a life house, it's a genuine thing for you. You're not feeling pressured. You're not feeling coerced. It's just like you look at Scripture, you look at where you live, and go, I'm just going to do one plus one. And so first thing we're asking you to do is just commit. Just pray about this and go, God, do you want me to be a life house? Do you want me to like, really reach out to my neighbors? And what, what we've asked you to do 
is, you know, just because it's like, let's find some metrics, let's find something tangible. So just take your immediate eight neighbors. Some of you are like, I live out in the country. I think I have four neighbors. I'm like, well, they'll take the four, you know? Some of you live in an apartment complex. Take, take the whole thing. I don't care. But it's like, I have one guy going, okay, like, what do you mean by eight? Like, is it four and two and two? Or like, it's like, like five and three? I go, I don't care. Like, just go as the Lord leads your heart, you know? But um, pick the eight immediate neighbors and just say, I'm going to take ownership for loving these people and blessing these people. And I'm going to commit to that. And, and, and we'd love to know. We want to be able to encourage you, support you as you be a lifehouse. Some ways you can commit, you got a response card in your program. There's a little area there you can say, I commit to be a lifehouse. Turn that in the baskets or there's a little a box out in the foyer. It looks just like that little logo. And it's got a couple slots. You can just put it in there because I think something happens for us when we commit, like when we do something to say, I'm doing this. It's too easy for us to go, yeah, I'll do that. And we walk out of here and go, what was I supposed to do again? <laughs> Or we have these uh, commitment cards that are out there. That you can just take that, fill it out, take you 30 seconds or less, and you can just drop it in that box and say, I'm a life house, done. So, so, so commit. Second, map out your neighborhood. In, in, uh, we've provided this booklet right here. It's got all sorts of little tools for you. It's got some information. It's got a little area to map out your neighbors, area to like to write down prayer requests for them, things that you've learned. And you can just say, I'm going to map it out a little bit, have some intentionality behind it. And maybe this week, what neighbors don't you know? Maybe you can just get to know their names. Just, just take that extra second like some of these folks did in the beginning of service I talked about. Stop, say something, say hi, greet them, engage them. Map it out. Uh, the next thing I encourage you guys to do is, is engage with that prayer, care, sh- um, share philosophy and strategy. Another thing we're asking you guys to do, uh, May 24th. May 24th is a day that we just, we just put it on the calendar. Maybe you can't do May 24th. Maybe you got to do it a couple days before or a couple days after. But what we're trying to say is this allotted window of time, what would it look like if all of us at the same time were serving our neighbors? Like at the same time, hundreds if not thousands of people were just being loved on and served on by our community. Like if we're going to do that, that's going to change our community. Like God's going to change our community if we're loving on our neighbors like that. And so on the 24th, it's in the, it's in the booklet that's out there. If you don't have one, there's more out there. Um, just say, I'm going to love and serve my neighbors. Like for us, uh, I just want to learn how to pray for my neighbors more and get to know them. So in California, there's a, there's a cut of meat called a tri-tip. It's this awesome chunk of meat that you just, you know, you season it and you grill it up and you slice it up and the juices start to flow and it's nice and a little pink center. It's almost lunchtime. Wow, oh, I want some tri-tip. And um, you don't really have that out here. We have to like custom order it almost or like shoot your own cow and get it. I don't know. Um, and so we're going to grill up some tri-tip I used to say barbecue. I'm turning more Ohio when I guess. I, said, I just said grill. Okay, uh, barbecue, grill, up some tri-tip. Take it to our neighbors and just say, hey, this is a, a, a traditional California thing. Happy sunshine. You know, the sun's out. And uh, also just say, we just want to pray for our neighbors. We just want to know if there's anything we can pray for you about. Because if all my neighbors give us something to pray about, I'll pray for one neighbor a day. Double up on Saturdays, I'm praying for eight neighbors. You know, that kind of stuff. With my luck, half my neighbors will be vegan. And they'll be like, we don't eat meat. And I'll be like, I'll eat your tri-tip, and I'll go get some tofu on the grill for you right now, you know. Um, anyways, just what can you do? What can you do just to love, serve your neighbors? Just, just reach out to them. There's some ideas in this booklet if you can't think of any on your own. I don't know what you need to do, but let's do this together. Let's rip down our fences, those things that are blocking our heart from disengaging. Let's strengthen our vertical relationship with God 
so that we can strengthen that horizontal relationship with others, especially our neighbors, and just go after this and see what God does. That's my challenge for you. Let's pray. God, Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for loving us. Thank you, God, that you came into our lives. Thank you for coming down, dying on the cross, and raising from the grave. Thank you for giving us mercy and grace and forgiveness that we did not deserve. Thank you that we don't have to try to work our way to you. Thank you that it's not about what we do, but it's about what you did. And God, I pray for anyone here today that as, as they've listened this morning, what's become very evident for them is that vertical relationship is missing. It's gone. It's absent. There's no relationship with you. God, I just pray that they would have the guts to, to deal with that today. That they would even just talk to you. They would just say, God, I need you. I need that vertical relationship. I want to I want to trust in Christ. I want to trust in what you did on the cross. And I want to trust in your resurrection and get in relationship with you and have eternal life because of you. And if that's you, I just encourage you to mark your response card, let us know, so we can just follow up with you and give you some steps to do that. Or maybe carve out a few extra minutes before you leave. Go to our prayer cove over in the corner over here. There'll be some folks over there just available to serve you by praying for you, encouraging you, answering questions. God, for the rest of us who have that vertical relationship and maybe it's weak, God, would you strengthen it? God, all of us can learn how to love our neighbors better. God, would you, would you help us not think about trying to find good neighbors, but just trying to be good neighbors? Just to love and serve in the name of Christ. So God, help us rip down fences. Help us break down barriers so that we can love others the way you want us to. We ask this in Jesus' name. We all said,